0: Most of you are uh, well aware that uh, Carol and I have spent most of our entire, almost our entire adult lives, 42 years now, uh, serving in a missionary role, and a missionary in our circles is one who goes to places that have no gospel witness or a limited gospel witness, and a few Bible-based churches, and you try to change that. Uh, By uh, evangelistic outreaches, by the establishment of churches, by the making of disciples, and by disciples we mean biblically grounded, consistent followers of the Lord Jesus. And in our travels around the country through the years, raising financial support to uh, do what you believe God wants you to do, you meet lots of people, um, some of whom become good friends you develop a mailing list of folks who want to keep up with what you're doing and that list kind of spreads over the years often to people that you've never met but who are committed to praying for you. It's a wonderful blessing. We received an email last week from one of those people who pray for us and who pray for you uh, but we we have never met them uh, and they will never visit us here in Montana uh, given their age and their station in life. Interestingly the wife grew up on a small farm north of Spokane and the husband grew up in Colorado Springs. Uh, They themselves spent their lives as missionaries to native people in the mountains of Chile, South America. Uh, They are currently 91 and 90 uh, living in a nursing home in Florida. I want to read their email to you because it introduces uh, exactly what we're going to be talking about in the book of Philippians in chapter 2 today. This fellow's name is Cliff, and he said, "Dear Larry and Carol, just received your latest newsletter. Rejoice how the Lord's using you." Kathy was raised on a small farm north of Spokane. Me in Colorado Springs. We loved the mountain ministry among our Indian tribe in Southern Chile. Very cold winters. Of course, you get in Southern Chile, you're close to uh, the South Pole, so uh, it's actually you're actually quite cold. After retirement, we lived in a missionary village for 20 years, and four months ago we moved into a nursing home here in Bradenton, Florida. He puts in parentheses, Florida is flat and ugly. My wife laughed and said, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> Spent 22 years of my life there, I can, I can vouch for that. After living growing up in Colorado Springs and then living in the mountains of Chile for most of his life, yeah, Florida's flat and ugly. He said, Kathy's been in a wheelchair for seven years, and her care 24-7 was getting to be too much for me. She's 91, and I'm 90. We are in, and this is what really got me, which is just a, a tremendous blessing. He said, we are in our new mission field, the nursing home. He's 90 years old. We are in our new mission field, he says. I led Richard to Christ on August the 18th and have a daily Bible study with him. He's taking chemo, which has slowed him down a lot. He used to be in public relations for Harvard University. Spiritual things are slowly starting to fit together. His roommate is Bruce, who lost both legs in a fire a few years ago, body badly scarred, very bitter, very anti-everybody. He's been on drugs, marriage failure, but knows considerable about the Bible. I will appreciate your praying for these men and for the many others who I am sharing with bit by bit. I play the piano for Bible Times Tuesday and Friday. We pray regularly for you folks in Christ, Cliff and Kathy. And I thought, wow, when we talk about dedicated, determined servants of the Lord. Here he is, 90 years old, moved into the nursing home. I'm in my new mission field, the nursing home going up and down the halls witnessing to people. Leads a guy to Christ who was in public relations for Harvard for years. Now he's in a nursing home in Florida. Leads him to Christ, having a Bible study with him every day. And I thought, wow. Dedicated, determined servants of the Lord. You know, we often use the word prayer warrior, meaning a person who battles for Christ through prayer, standing firmly in prayer against the devil's wicked schemes, Praying for people, praying for churches, praying for the cause of Christ to be advanced, and so forth. That is is a great term. I like it. Prayer warrior. There's another term that's not used quite as much. Pastors and missionaries tend to use it more than others. It's It's a term that's used actually several times by the Apostle Paul, and we'll even see it in our passage today. And that is the term soldier, or soldier for Christ, or soldier of the cross. And that term is usually applied to people who serve the cause of Christ faithfully for many years, enduring hardships and challenges, living responsibly for the Lord Jesus, on duty for the Lord Jesus year after year after year after year. You may remember the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And when I read emails like the one we received this week, It makes me just want to stand up and respect and salute. Never met the man. But Cliff and Kathy, those people there, they are soldiers of the cross. They are prayer warriors for Christ. They spent most of their lives in the mountains in southern Chile serving a tribe there. And now 90 years old, Cliff calls their nursing home their new mission field still serving still witnessing still seeking to lead people to christ still having daily bible times with the man he led to christ a few weeks ago playing the piano for the church services in the nursing home he's definitely a soldier for the lord jesus and in our passage in philippians today the apostle paul speaks of two soldiers for the lord jesus he holds them up as role models as heroes of the faith And we're titling our thoughts today, just Soldiers of the Cross. Soldiers of the Cross. Can we be that? Ought we to be that? We should. And we want to begin to read today in verse 19, 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. And we'll go to the end of the chapter, verse 30, about 10 verses there. The Apostle Paul writes about two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all meaning their condition for all their spiritual condition for all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus but you know his proven character that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, sending him back to the church in Philippi, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, or honor, Because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. You know as a society our our taste in heroes has kind of changed over the years. Several years ago researchers asked 2,000 eighth graders to name prominent people that they admired and wanted to be like. After the results were published... A columnist for the Chicago Daily News, Sidney Harris, was lamenting the fact that of every single one of the 30 prominent personalities named, they were either an entertainer or an athlete. Unlike earlier years, he said, when statesmen and authors and painters and musicians and architects and doctors and and other great leaders, they apparently no longer captured the imagination of young people. And the columnist concluded by saying the heroes and the heroines created by our society are unfortunately people who have made it big, meaning they're rich and famous, but not necessarily people who have done big things. Well, we just read in this passage in Philippians today about two fantastic heroes of the faith, two fantastic soldiers of the cross. Timothy and Epaphroditus. And let's remember just briefly what Paul has said so far. He began his letter with a reminder of his love and his prayers as he encourages this church to follow Christ. Then he assured the Philippians that he rejoices even while suffering for the gospel because he said his joy comes from following the Lord Jesus. In fact, Paul said at the end of chapter 1 that suffering for the sake of Christ is a gift that has been granted to us by God. And that powerful statement ends chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, Paul begins by pleading with these brothers and sisters to adopt an others-oriented outlook on life. That was the precise attitude of mind of the Lord Jesus when he came to earth to carry out the plan for our salvation. That truth brought Paul to that great declaration that Jesus is Lord of all. And one day every knee will bow to him and acknowledge that very fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because we who know Christ as our Savior have already bowed the knee to Christ... Our whole worldview, our outlook on life, our entire perspective on this world and eternity should be different. We work out our salvation, Paul said in this earlier verses. We live out what has happened to us on the inside. We recognize the work of God in our lives, and we and we discipline ourselves to do what He wants us to do. We don't just passively sit there and wait for God to change us. We discipline ourselves unto holiness. But at the same time, we trust God to do His work in us, and teach us, and guide us, and direct the circumstances of our lives. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul said. And remember, God is working in you to desire And to obey Him. And he says, don't do anything, we saw a couple weeks ago. Don't do anything with a complaining spirit. Be a light for Christ in a warped and distorted world. So Paul has been focusing on essential qualities of faithful servants for the Lord Jesus. Or we might say essential qualities of prayer warriors and soldiers of the cross. Humility and others-oriented mindset. A commitment to serve a willingness to sacrifice and then as Paul is writing this personal thank you to the Philippian Church directed by the Holy Spirit inspired by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit reminds him of two shining examples of these spiritual soldier qualities Timothy and Epaphroditus Timothy was an elder pastor who worked with Paul. He'd been led to Christ and mentored by Paul. Paul was going to send him to Philippi. Epaphroditus was a dedicated servant of the Lord who apparently was from Philippi. And he had brought to Paul a wonderful financial gift from the Philippian church. And as Paul writes, basically this is a thank you letter back to that Philippian church. We'll see it in chapter 4 when he thanks them for, for this wonderful gift. He had brought Paul this wonderful financial gift from the Philippian church and now Paul was going to send him back to the church with this letter. Two living examples of what Paul had just been talking about. Two heroes for followers of Christ to imitate. We'll think about Timothy first. In other New Testament letters, Paul had called Timothy his son in the faith. He would called him his beloved son, his fellow worker, my faithful son in the Lord, our brother. All very endearing, gracious terms. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy obviously loved Paul, and he served faithfully with him for years. But note how Paul speaks about Timothy in this passage. He says, first of all, he's like-minded. Look at verse 19 again. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. He means their spiritual condition. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He says he's like-minded, meaning he's got a mind like Paul. The Greek word is a compound word. It means equal and a soul. So he's saying... Timothy's soul is like my soul. He thinks like me. He evaluates situations like I do. He's on the same theological page as I am. We have similar objectives, similar goals, similar passions, similar perspectives. Some translations uh, translate this phrase kindred spirit. In other words, Paul says, if I can't be there, the next best thing will be Timothy. Because he's my son in the faith, I've mentored him, he's an equal soul, he's a kindred spirit, he thinks like me, he's so much like me. And then he says, secondly, he says, like me, he will genuinely care for your spiritual condition. He said, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Paul's basically saying, you know, there's a lot of followers of Jesus out there, he says, who who are wrapped up in themselves. They're not really wrapped up in Jesus Christ. They're not really wrapped up in the cause of Christ. They're not wrapped up in the Word of God. They're wrapped up in in, in themselves. But he said, Timothy, he said, Timothy is not wrapped up in Timothy. His dominant interests are the interests of Christ. Christ. Now you may say, well, is it okay to have other interests? Sure, it's not automatically a sin to have different interests. But what interest in your life, what dominates your thinking? What dominates your schedule? What dominates your finances? You see, Timothy's priority was the kingdom of God. Timothy's priority was the righteousness of God, advancing the cause of Christ, doing the right things to honor the Lord. Hold your finger here for just a moment and look at Matthew chapter 6. Familiar passage, I just want to review it with you. Matthew chapter 6. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 6. And I'm going to start to read in verse 25 down near the end of the chapter. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. From time to time, I suggest that you underline or highlight certain passages of Scripture. Uh, If you do that sort of thing, I would encourage you to mark 31, 32, and 33 in some way. Fabulous passages. Jesus says don't worry about what you're gonna eat and drink and wear don't worry about don't worry about surviving He said because your Heavenly Father knows that you need those things he knows you gotta have some money he knows you got bills to pay he knows you got groceries to buy he knows you gotta put clothes onto the backs of your kids he knows you gotta feed your babies he knows you gotta buy diapers he knows you gotta put gas in your car he knows all of that But he still says, don't worry about it because I know what you need. And so, yeah, work, do your jobs, all those things. But look at verse 33. Seek first the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He said, if you keep the kingdom of God as your priority... Then he said, I will see to it that all these other things that you know you need and that I know you need, you, you will have what you have to have to survive in this world. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And that basically is what the Apostle Paul is saying about Timothy. He said, he, he is like-minded. He will care for your state. So many other people, he said, out there, he said, they are seeking their own stuff and not the, the things of Christ. But Timothy's priority was the kingdom and righteousness of God and advancing the cause of Christ. He, he said, Timothy is not wrapped up in Timothy. He's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And then the third and wonderful thought he says about him, he says, he has proven character, verse 22. You know his proven character that has a son with his father he served with me in the gospel he says Timothy he's loyal he's submissive he's like a son working with his father he's willing to do anything I ask him to do and you you know you and you, you see that pattern throughout the New Testament whenever Timothy is mentioned Timothy was a spiritual hero he was a soldier of the cross He was like-minded like Paul. He was wrapped up in the cause of Christ. He had proven character. He was like a son working with his father. (coughs) Timothy was a great man of God. And then he moves to Epaphroditus. Interestingly, Epaphroditus is only mentioned here in Philippians. We know nothing about his background. We don't know how long he'd known the Lord. We don't know what position he held in the church in Philippi. But Paul uses five different words, five titles, you might say, to kind of describe him to us. And it's a very powerful description. In relationship to Paul, he says, as we look at verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. He said, said in his relationship to me, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. So we know, of course, Epaphroditus knew the Lord. He called him his brother. He knew he had served with Paul because he called him his fellow worker. And we know he apparently had endured some hardship with Paul. That's why he called him his fellow soldier. Perhaps some conflict, maybe some opposition to the gospel, perhaps some persecution. Paul says he is my fellow soldier. We have battled for the gospel side by side. We, we stood for Jesus against opposition side by side. And in relationship, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in relationship to the church in Philippi, he said he was your, your messenger and your minister to my need. Epaphroditus had apparently brought to Paul. A financial gift from the Philippian church to further his ministry and to help take care of his needs and now Paul is going to send him back with this letter of thanks and and encouragement somewhere along the way Epaphroditus had gotten sick so sick that Paul thought he was going to die and he was thankful that God had mercy on both Paul and Epaphroditus because he would have been brokenhearted to lose him as he said in verse 29 and 30 Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul told, had, told, uh, <coughs> had, had said to the Philippian church to hold men like Epaphroditus, and him and men like him in esteem, meaning honor and respect, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his own life in order to get this gift to Paul. And I want you to think about that with me for just a moment. Because when we just think about, oh, that's great, you know, uh, Epaphrodites brought a gift from Philippi over to Rome to give it to Paul while he was under house arrest, so forth. You know, I, I, I looked up, I did a quick internet search yesterday to see the distance from Philippi to Rome. What I forgot when I first did my initial search was that Philippi is no longer a, an actively lived in city, it's just ruins, and so, uh, and so Google Maps wouldn't have anything on it. And when, and when I first clicked on you know, the distance between Philippi to Rome, what I got was the distance between Philippi, West Virginia and Rome, Georgia. I thought, well, that's not going to help me any. And so anyway, I kind of re- uh, refined my search there. Ancient Philippi and ancient Rome. Okay, there there, I got the right map. Epaphroditus. If he could have sailed across the Adriatic Sea, which is the saltwater body between Greece and Italy, be about 100 miles, 150 miles, depending on which port he went to, which port to which port that it, it would have been if he had, if he were able to sail across the Adriatic and he probably did probably could have it would be 800 miles from Philippi to Rome and he if he had walked all the way around the north end of Italy it would have been even longer but if he could take the boat across the Adriatic Sea he still had 800 miles to cover think about that for a moment no no cars, the roads, Romans had a nice road system might have had a donkey maybe no horses because horses were military animals in those in, those, in, in the Roman Empire you, no, nobody had a horse unless you were going to war and so maybe had a donkey but probably Epaphroditus walked and other than his 100 to 150 mile boat ride all the rest of it he walked 650, 700 miles. He walked almost the whole way. And according to chapter 4, which we'll see in a few weeks, this is a pretty sizable gift that he brought to Paul. Uh, Paul says, I am full and I abound and I have all my needs met from this wonderful, wonderful gift. You've been so generous. May God supply all your needs for your generous gift. And remember, no paper money in the Roman Empire, no checkbooks, nothing digital, nothing anything like that. So Epaphroditus is packing a bunch of money, coins, coins in leather pouches, 800 miles, mostly on foot, to get this gift to Paul. Hazarding his life, getting so sick he almost dies, but by the grace of God he made it and lived. And I thought, no wonder Paul calls him my fellow soldier. He's just traveled. 800 miles with who knows how much Roman coinage and leather pouches under, his hiding, you know, doesn't want anybody to rob him along the way. Gets sick, practically dies. Walks over 600 miles for sure. Just to bring Paul a gift for his ministry. Wow. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, they were, they were different kinds of men. Paul was courageous, outspoken, fearless, an apostle of Christ. Timothy, Paul's quiet and, according to Paul and other passages, kind of shy. He was his assistant, faithful, loyal, responsible, dependable. Epaphroditus, this gutsy, determined, behind-the-scenes worker, willing to risk his life to get a financial gift to Paul to further the cause of Christ. And all men whom God used in remarkable ways all men who were fellow workers, brothers in arms, soldiers for Christ, knit together with a passion for God and for the cause of the gospel. You know, in 1947, a Norwegian explorer named Thor Heyerdahl and five of his companions sailed from Peru on a crude little boat raft made of balsa logs that were held together by hemp rope. Heyerdahl and some of his uh, exploring, researching, believed that Polynesia had been settled in ancient times by natives of South America and using pictures that had been drawn by Spanish conquistadors, the the Contiki, he called it, expedition, made a raft exactly with the construction techniques of of the people indigenous to that time and place in order to sail exactly as they would have sailed. They spent 101 days in the Pacific Ocean, covering more than 4,300 miles on this raft before arriving at the Tuamoto Islands in August of 1947. Heardall described his experiences in a book. He called it Contiki, Across the Pacific in a Raft. Obviously a bestseller, big documentary film, won an Academy Award. A museum in Oslo, Norway, honoring him, displays his raft there. And in the book, Heyerdahl explains that they had almost no ability to steer, no way to stop the raft's forward progress. They got in one of those ocean currents that moves along you know, from, uh, from Peru across uh, the Pacific. It kind of moves along the, the, the equator. And he said, uh, early in the voyage, we discovered that if we drop something overboard, we could never get it back because once it passed behind the raft the current was carrying them forward faster than what was that, than what had fallen off well 2 months into the voyage thousands of miles from land the unthinkable happened and one of his men lost his footing and fell overboard the raft was driven by a strong wind, heavy seas there in the midst of a storm, was moving ahead faster than, than the fellow could swim. He was trying valiantly to catch up, all strong, active, adventuresome men. He could not catch up. Every attempt to throw him a life preserver was blown back by, by the wind. Uh, that he was, he was starting to drown in the waves, and the five men were just standing there in horror trying to think of what to do. Suddenly, one of the guys pulled a life preserver over the top of him, tied a rope to it, threw the rope to the guys, and he jumped in. And he swam back to his drowning friend, grabbed his arms around him. Uh, He was so exhausted, the other guy could hardly swim anymore, and the rest of the crew pulled them both back onto the raft. All six men made it to Polynesia alive. And as I thought about that incredible, heroic act out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, standing there watching their friend and comrade virtually drowned, and suddenly somebody with quick thinking thinks of something to do and risks his own life to save him. I thought that story illustrates something about ministry and something about our text. We often live very spiritually safe and comfortable lives on our raft while people around us are struggling and drowning. Effective ministry requires an element of personal risk for the cause of Christ. Maybe not actually risking our lives, but maybe so on occasion. But certainly stepping out of our bubbles of security and risking something for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can avoid all sorts of discomfort if we never step out for the Lord Jesus. If we never reach out, if we never step up, if we just stay where we feel secure and comfortable, we can avoid all kinds of problems. But that's not what God has called us to do. God never said, live in your bubble where everything's comfortable. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, as Paul just said a few verses back, shine as lights in a warped and distorted world. The English explorer, Sir Francis Drake, was the first person that we know of who sailed around all the way around the world. Apparently had some regard for God in some way. And this is one of his prayers that he wrote. Disturb us, Lord, meaning rattle our cage a little bit, shake us up. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, and when we arrive safely because we sailed so close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord. Shake us up, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we've lost our thirst for the water of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build something new on earth, we have allowed our vision of heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, shake us up to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we can find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future with strength and courage and hope and love. You know, maybe we don't see the mighty hand of God Because we risk nothing for the cause of Christ. Are you and I soldiers of the cross? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the incredible testimony of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Great men of God, Paul's brothers, fellow workers, fellow soldiers. We know, Lord, that men and women like Epaphroditus who are willing to risk it all for the cause of Christ, few and far between. Lord, we're all called to get out of our bubble, get out of our comfort zone and reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be soldiers of the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.